Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Anybody want some Kyora? <laughs> Butter kissed. Remember that? Butter kissed. Butter yes. Kissed. When Mandy Mays meets Blondie Butter, wham! <laughs> it's Butter kissed. <laughs> On sale at the kiosk now. I can't, oh. I can't I can remember these things. That's terrible. Anyway, look. Good evening, and welcome to another edition of Word in Your Ear. Now uh, we are clearly entering uh, another golden age of the music movie. This year alone, we've had Marianne and Leonard, we've had The Making of Motown, we've had Scorsese's Dylan, we've had Rocketman, we've had Bohemian Rhapsody, which, of course, you will remember because it has a sensational uh, cameo by a sort of Timmy Mallet lookalike who plays the part of David Hepworth at, at Live Aid. Unforgettable. And there are more big uh, music movies lined up for 2020. And this started a conversation between the three of us about which are favourite uh, rock movie of the past would be, and also uh, whether or not uh, Oliver Stone's The Doors is literally the worst rock movie ever made. Yeah. To be decided, I don't know. <laughs> and we thought we'd ask uh, the great man to come in and help us continue this debate. Uh, you know him, he's a, an old pal of the podcast, was here talking about his Billy Bragg book recently. Um, he's the uh, film editor of the Radio Times. He presents a fantastic classic FM show called Saturday Night at the Movies. Um, nobody's seen more films. Nobody's eaten more popcorn. Um, please uh, welcome and let, let us present, in fact, Andrew Collins choosing the 10 best rock movies of all time. Well, there you go. And, and there it is. Now, what we decided to do was... No to put, expense put them in ca- No expense spared. We decided to put them in, in, in categories because we thought it was impossible, didn't we, to say, yeah. let's have a biopic or a fiction being measured against, I don't know, a tour film or a concert film. So explain the categories that we've got. These are the ones you've chosen. First of all, um, 
did anybody else, when they first hear, saw the word biopic, think it was a biopic? Yes, I did. It was, yeah, it's I a, did, yeah, biopic. It's a, 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 a surgical... It's a uh, procedure. Yeah, yeah, yeah biopic, yeah. I always did. Anyway, now we know it's biopic, uh, which is a kind of, uh, you know, Hollywood reporter kind of thing, a biopic. So, yeah, biopics, profiles, exactly the same, really, but you'll see that it works. Tragedies, again, the same as the biopics and the profiles, but more tragic. Tour films, fairly self-explanatory. Concert films, just like tour films. Comebacks, that's quite different. Jazz films, that's quite different. Fiction, so is that. Uh, festivals, just like concert films and tour films. And oddities, because not everything fits into concert films and tour films. So, for, before we go any further, can, can you remember the first time you saw at the cinema a film that would be regarded as a kind of pop film or yeah, a rock uh, film or whatever? It would have been Greece. Um, 1978, mm-hmm. which was the, all the kids at school went to see Greece, and uh, and I remember coming out of Greece, and it was so cliched. I didn't even realise I was living a cliche. I sort of came out and thought that I was Danny Zuko, in the same way that uh, an earlier generation had come out of Bruce Lee films, thinking they could do um, karate. And so I, I, as I walked home, so I walked home with my friend Dave, and we walked home. And while we walked home, I, I kind of was doing this with my hair, which of course there was nothing in it, so it just fell back down to a bowl cut. But I was kind of doing that all the way home. And, I, and, you know, that was my first time of being, you know, living through vicariously through a rock film. I didn't know that it was set in the past. Oh, really? Well, oh, I, right. I thought that's what America was like. <laughs> and I was kind of right. <laughs> it kind of was but still a bit like that, wasn't yeah, it? Right. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, so, so Greece really got me. Um, and, uh, what I've about you, Mark? What was yours? God, first rock film. I don't know. Would it be in Woodstock or is that ridiculous? No, God. but something before that. You must have, well, it's Hard know. Day's Night and things like that. Oh, Hard Day's Night, of course, yes. Sorry, no, the Beatles films. No, yeah. no, no, absolutely. Yeah. It was Hard Day's Night. And, but they, and they, they, they redesigned yeah. the, the music film because they were made to be cheap things for the kids. That, yeah. you know, the industry didn't think they They were made to be done quickly, things. above yeah. all, yeah. weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Hard, Hard Day's Night was fantastic. Hard Day's Night, they made it black and white because they didn't have time to make it in colour. Yeah. Incredible. First ever kind of music video. Really. That scene on the train, isn't there a scene on yeah. the train where they suddenly just stop playing kind of imaginary instruments. Or yeah, just, and, with those and weird stringy kind of overhead lockers that they used absolutely to have. Absolutely yeah. incredible. Yeah, beautiful. I mean, you, you know, I wasn't able to see that at the same time, so Greece kind of did for me what would have happened to me if I'd been a little older. Yeah, what was yours, Dave? Uh, probably, I probably went to see it at the Osset Palladium in 1950. It was on, t- it was on, on Talking Pictures TV recently, which, of course, I watch devotedly oh, nowadays. So do I. Yeah. We, could do, oh, like, we could do that. Sorry, sidebar. That's the age we are. <laughs> sidebar, I noticed that Ginger Baker, who passed away last week, yeah. was apparently a devoted viewer of Talking Pictures yeah. TV. Yeah. It was the idea that the former drummer of the Queen, uh, of Cream, yeah. spends his twilight de- days sitting there watching Kenneth Moore films. Yeah. Like, you know, on Talking Pictures TV. I thought it was rather sweet, actually. It's lovely. I love the fact that Kenneth Moore's surname is now so relevant because there were so many Kenneth Moore films. How many more? <laughs> more films can there be. So I think the first one I saw was a Tommy Steele film called The Duke Wore Jeans. Truly <laughs> terrible. Oh, okay. And I saw it again recently and I can confirm it's just as terrible as it was in my I'll tell you yeah. what it's not as terrible as. The what, sorry? It's not as terrible as... I've never seen it, but it's not as terrible as The Doors by Oliver Stone. So you think, to, to celebrate the films... We're all we agreed on this. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to celebrate at record speed, but we have to address The Doors film by Oliver Stone. It's got to be dealt with first yeah, before we well, go I, I think... If you, I'm assuming a lot of people in here will have seen The Doors film. Uh, Has anybody I, seen it? You've seen it in 1991. Just it's out of curiosity, of yeah. if you like The Doors, I love The Doors music, you've got to see it. Well, it was it, easily the worst... I think, music film. 
And I can prove it just by reading back some of the actual words that were in the screenplay and were thus said by two actors on the screen in a massive, huge, expensive film. They're on Venice Beach. Uh, one of them is Jim Morrison, played by Val Kilmer, uh, who is a man, even though he's got a, a female name. And Ray Manzarek, played by Kyle MacLachlan, who was most famous at the time for being in Twin, Twin Peaks. Peaks. Yeah. So um, they're, they're, they're Jim and Ray. They're sitting on the beach. And uh, these are the exact words. I haven't changed any of these. In fact, they have to be exactly as they were written because these were passed by all sorts of people before they were allowed to be made into a film. So, what have you been doing? Says Ray to Jim. Jim says, oh, writing songs. And then Ray says, let me hear one. And Jim says, I'm shy and I can't sing. And then Ray says, because I'm sure this is exactly how it happened. <laughs> You've got to sing better than Dylan, man. John is in the basement, mixing up the medicine. He does an impression of Dylan. Let me hear your words. Jim gets his notebook out on the beach, fumbles with it a bit, then sings, let's swim to the moon, let's climb through the tide. Then he really gets into it. Park beside the ocean on our moonlight drive. He's just written the lyrics to Moonlight Drive, the future door song. Ray looks serious. <laughs> He's impressed, though, and there was a massive pause, huge pause. Some great fucking lyrics, man, he says. You write this? Because he's in his notebook. <laughs> he says, Jim says, I got a whole concert in my head. I bet he, said, I bet he really said that. What happened, to you into the what happened to you in the desert, man, says Ray. <laughs> Let's get a rock and roll band together and make a million bucks. <laughs> he actually says that. He actually says that in the film. It gets worse because then they'd start talking about what they're going to be together when they make this band. Vietnam is out there, man, says Ray. Sides are being chosen. The planet is screaming for change, Morrison. We've got to make the myths. Sorry, was that a line? The planet's screaming for change? This is all coming out of the mouth of Ray Manzarek. We should call ourselves Dionysus, man. Then he changed his mind straight away. I've got a name. <laughs> You've already given one. Now he's going to give another one. The doors. He says, the doors of your mind. And then in case any of us are slow, the Huxley book. The quotes from William Blake, actually. Now, if that doesn't suck the marrow out of your bones, <laughs> hearing that... It's also quotes, wrong, isn't it? It's the doors of perception. The quotes from Is William Blake, actually... Yeah. Anyway, they, that's the well, there's a scene, there's a scene where they, they, they record, they compose and record Light My Fire in about yeah. two minutes, don't they? That's and it ends with kind of... We're headed for the bright lights, guys. You know, it's that kind of thing. <laughs> it's it's true. shocking. We're going to the top of most of the pop most. So come on, So that's biopics. how bad it is. Biopics. So, biopics. Sorry. Biopics. Uh, we've all been in and had one. Um, yeah, I've chosen, I've chosen in no particular order. I think Lady Sings the Blues is worth thinking about, 1972. Um, partly because it's a, a Motown-produced film starring Diana Ross, who actually turned out to be a pretty good actress and uh, did a great job um, in this film. She also was in Mahogany, which is about the fashion industry. Didn't quite suit her, that one, I don't think. Um, um, but nevertheless, Berry Gordy produced this, and usually Berry Gordy produced it. It would have to be some kind of shrine to Berry Gordy, but he's actually not in it because it was done you know, before he was Berry Gordy. Yeah. Well, he was having an affair with Dan Ross at the same time. Well, yeah, of course, it was, it was. his girlfriend, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. 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 But nevertheless, I think it came out very well. People were very surprised how good Diana Ross was. Um, why certain uh, singers become good actors is... Well, it's certainly not mathematically easy to work out beforehand, but she did a really good job. Although Time magazine said uh, that the film squandered one of America's most natural resources, Diana Ross. That's what it said. So, you know, everyone's a bloody critic. Does it have the actual the death of Billie Holiday at the end, the kind of where she's chained to the bed and the yeah, drug well, squad are f f 
she yeah, dies of serenity. They don't. They don't. Um, they're not squeamish about. about the whole. You know, because the whole, you know. I'm it, not seeing it. So. Yeah, it's, it's good. Okay. Uh, it's by Sidney J. Fury, the yeah. director. Uh, Walk the Line um, is the same, basically the same as Ray. Ray Charles. This one's about Johnny Cash. Um, that there are standard things that you have to do, in it, especially in an American biopic, which is be born poor, obviously. Um, if not black, then certainly dirt poor. Um, and there's a kind of solid, approachable way that these things are done. And if you like the music of Ray Charles and you like the music of Johnny Cash, then you're going to go home happy. Um, but I think this is nicely done in the sense that it tells us, in a way, how how little you sometimes have to do when the story is as good as a lot of the, the great stories. So, yeah, and Reese Witherspoon, fantastic. Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon, fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, Control, I, I like Control. This is the, 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 obviously, I'm sure many of you know, um, the Ian Curtis biopic. Uh, and, of course, it's in black and white, and it looks like um, some photographs by Anton Corbin have been animated, and that's pretty much what it is. Uh, but I think it's very good. Um, Kevin Cummins, uh, the other photographer of uh, raincoated men at the time, must have been fucking furious <laughs> that Anton yeah. Corbin became yes. a filmmaker before he did. Um, because, you know, effectively that era was photographed by Kevin Cummins and Anton Corbin. But Corbin, your old mate, he got in there first as a film director. I think this is also one that you have to consider at the same time as 24-hour party people, which is the kind of comedy version of yeah. the same kind of period. Hard to do a comedy about about the death of Ian Curtis, but it is in there, and uh, I think together they make a nice pair. Uh, Love and Mercy has a casting problem. Uh, the Beach Boys story, uh, the first half, Paul Dano, or is it Dano? Never can be sure. But Paul Dano, Dano, he actually looks a lot like Brian Wilson, and then in the second half of the film, when he's a bit older, he's played by. John Cusack, who's a great actor, but looks Don't look nothing it. like. No, no. And so it's like, who's this other bloke? stone tooth. Yeah, yeah. Who's this man? yeah. yeah what happened <laughs> yeah. to Brian Wilson? Had yeah. some terrible accident, and they had to make yeah. him look. Yeah. Anyway, so that so there's a kind of uh, yeah hot and cold that one, but I think worthy. The first half, I think, or should be just sort of maybe just removed from the second half. And uh, my, you know, one of my favourites of recent times is Straight Outta Compton. So Which, that's your winner in this case. Well, I, I would consider it my winner because I think, it, you know, this is basically the same as Johnny Cash or, uh, you know, any of the other biopics. It's about a band, effectively, as we would used to call them, uh, but it's effectively the rap version of Johnny Cash and uh, did a really good job on it. Um, but the great thing, that's the most important thing about it, to me anyway, is this. And obviously, you know, they swear a bit sometimes, uh, the rappers, <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> MC Wren, who is a, a you know founder member of um, of these great people, um, he doesn't get much screen time. I mean, MC Wren is not the most famous member. Oh, then complained about it bitterly. Didn't he complained he? about yeah, it, yeah, and yeah, he yeah. complained about it on Twitter, which is where you have to complain about things. Yeah. And he said this, and I'm going to just quote it because I like to quote it. He says, "This is MC Wren. Man, fuck these bitches at Universal Pictures, leaving me out of the movie trailers." When you have bitches working on a hip-hop film that you don't know shit about hip-hop, this is what happens. How the hell do you leave me out, he says. And uh, he kind of calmed down. He hadn't seen the film at this and point. And then he sees the film. <laughs> he hasn't seen no, it. He sees the film. Yeah. And he goes and to then... see it. Well, he goes to see it. <laughs> he goes to see it. And this is his next tweet by the same man. Congrats to the cast and crew. Great job <laughs> at telling the story. That's so sweet, isn't it? Strong work, guys. Yeah. yeah that's <laughs> old MC Wren there. That's brilliant. Uh, uh, you know, a Bohemian Rhapsody I've put in here as well because it's just good fun. Do you not think that is all that matters about that film, Bohemian Rhapsody? Because I think people are a bit snooty about it. Another biopic. 
But Rami Malek, Malek which is has brilliant some, in it. And has some hilarious lines. That yeah. line which says something, I can't let anyone compromise my vision. I know. <laughs> but brilliant. that's why I think it's just good fun. Yeah. But I, I, would go for, I would go for straight out of Compton, because I think people would assume that that would be hard work to sell. Especially as one of them, uh, uh, you know, develops HIV towards the end, and you know, it's got this kind of tragedy yeah. bit sewn in. Uh, brilliantly done, I think, and, and deserved all of the uh, right. All so of that's the, just the biopic, all right. of the applause. That's your best biopic. Biopic. So now we're yeah. on profiles. Yeah, profiles, which are just that little bit more focused, aren't they? Because they're 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 usually done when somebody's died, and and that's you know, not in the case of David Bowie though. I put cracked actor in first, which is a, a, an omnibus um, profile by Alan Yentob. And uh, I would, it's around the time of Diamond Dogs, and Bowie is famously living off cocaine and milk. There is two uh, main foodstuffs. <laughs> and uh, we see him in the back of a limo. It's abs- all the stuff in the limo is brilliant. And Yentop, finds a fly in the he milk. He finds a fly yeah. in his milk. And uh, that's a great thing for a start because he says, oh, no, it's a foreign body. He, says, uh, he describes himself as a foreign body in America yeah. because he's in L.A., they're driving through the, the, the canyon somewhere, and they come back into L.A., and he's in the back of the cab there, and it's dark now. He was quite happy when he was out in the desert. He says, look, there's a sign for a, for a wax museum. He said, who'd open a bleeding wax museum in the middle of the desert? He's a brilliant raconteur, really funny. And then they get back into the city, and they're in L.A., and it's dark. And there's a police siren in the bit where, where um, Yentob is about to ask him some more important questions. And he just says, he says here, um, there's a siren. And he says, I hope we're not stopped. He says, is there anything behind us? And then he sniffs. It's brilliant. It's like punctuation, sort of nose punctuation. I hope we're not stopped. Is there anyone behind us? And then just perfectly on cue. And it's just magic. So I would say just for that that bit alone, Cracked Actor is absolutely brilliant. Um, There have been others. um, Again, after people have gone, George Harrison living in the material world, which is about six or seven hours, isn't it? It's really long. Fantastic. Absolutely just everything that you could possibly want to know ever all his him. gangs he's big mates with the guys down the pub he's got yep. his petrol heads isn't he it's brilliant. brilliant just invites people to come and do his garden yeah. he's, he's just brilliant George Harrison so you know if he is your favourite Beatle then you obviously have to see this um, Marley as well I enjoyed Marley by Kevin MacDonald yep. um, and uh, it's not that, that it has stuff in you haven't seen there are some photos I think from, from Bob Marley's final gig in Pittsburgh there was no moving footage of it I don't think but he got hold of some still photographs, so there's kind of stuff that you haven't seen before. Um, and his, his end, again, it's, it's sad, but his end is really important. You know, how he died and how, you know, he just couldn't... He had to have his dreads cut off towards the end when he was hospitalised, which had cancer all through his body. And um, he was obviously devastated that he couldn't have his dreads. I mean, that's massively important. And, uh, but it's just, he just could not carry them around. Can you imagine how weak he must have been towards the end? Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of, it obviously ends, ends badly, uh, but it's uh, moving. It's very moving stuff. And then Quincy. I, I picked Quincy quite recent. Um, it's on Netflix. It's just the story of Quincy Jones, who is an ungracious bastard. He is, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. He did interviews to, to promote this when it was on Netflix. Basically, and he actually said this. He he, start, he decided to have a pop, pop at the Beatles. He has a pop at everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, he, he said they were the worst musicians in the world. He worked with them once, I think. On a, on a, I think he worked with Ringo on one album. Anyway, he called them no playing motherfuckers. <laughs> Not trying to swear. These these people are swearing. I'm just quoting it back. But no playing motherfuckers, suggesting they don't play the Beatles because they're no playing. 
Um, but he got, he's the he got worst lots of layer. publicity out of it, didn't he? Brilliant publicity. I mean, it's a great documentary because he is—he's a living legend, and he's still going, and he has a, a, a bit of. Did uh, he have a coma at one point? Yeah, he so comes around from a coma, and they say to him, "Who's the president?" Yeah. And he says, "Sarah Palin." She's hilarious. Right, yeah, <laughs> she's, just a, she's obviously perfectly all right. You yeah, know? it's pretty, pretty good. A good guess. Yeah, it was. <laughs> he didn't know how long he'd been out. Yeah. Um, so Quincy's worth looking at. If, you, if you've got Netflix, you've probably watched it already. Um, so um, uh, of those, I will stick with Cracked Actor right. because I think it is absolutely unique and also made while he was still alive and still absolutely on the money. Um, and because of that, yeah, yeah, just gorgeous. Um, so tragedy next. Tragedy is uh, the next. All, all tragic, really, in some ways. I put one on here because you told me to. I haven't seen it, and I want to see it. So <laughs> I'll just be completely honest about that. Uh, which is Janice, Little Girl Blue. Oh, Janice is amazing. Yeah. yeah. So tell me why it's... Well, the, the, I, yeah. my theory about Janice is that, is that in everybody's life story, particularly musicians, there's a pivotal moment. There's one moment mm. upon which everything turns. Had that not happened, they wouldn't be the person that they become. Right. And in her case, it's really, really sad. She's at college, isn't she? Or she's at school? No, she's at college. And she is voted ugliest man on campus. Oh, yes. I mean, yeah. that is the cruelest yeah. man as well. I mean, yeah. oh, it's awful. Yeah. And the whole film is about revenge, really. Mm -hmm. That isn't too... I'm not being unkind. Yeah, it's about good. proving to all these people that she's going to be absolutely fantastic and successful. And there's a key moment in the second half. Do you remember this? When she goes back to her old school. Oh, yeah. There's a school reunion. She insists She on goes going. back, and she goes back with two... Not one, but two incredibly good-looking blokes on her arm with a feather bow. <laughs> and just basically, yes, now, okay, yeah. who's laughing? You know, that, that kind of thing. Don Simpson, and it's, Don Simpson did It's that. a bit sad, but it's an amazing film, Don, incredible film. Don Simpson and uh, Jerry Bruckheimer, the bad boys of, of yeah, Hollywood yeah. producers at the time, anyway, uh, Don Simpson decided he would go back to his high school reunion after he'd become one of the biggest uh, producers in Hollywood. Just dropped in by helicopter in the middle of the lawn outside, kind of yeah. got out, walked around a bit, sniffed probably, and got back in the helicopter. <laughs> yes, and went, went off yeah. again, go right. Yeah. Fuck you. Left in yeah. a hail of eggs. Where's your, where's your <laughs> helicopter landing? Uh, yeah. So, uh, yes. Um, tragedy uh, is Amy uh, Winehouse. Oh, and, um, incredible film. It's tragic because uh, it was made by um, Asif Kapadia, a documentarian of great note, who had done Sen Senna, the motor racing film, which was brilliant. And I care not about motor racing. I'd, I'd walk out of the room if it was on. And uh, he made me interested in motor racing. And uh, so he knows his way around a car wreck. And in some ways, Amy was a car wreck. And I think that he kind of treated those subjects. Uh, both, they both kind of had death wishes, you know, the, the motor racing driver and sometimes the singer. And uh, there's, there's stuff that breaks your heart about Amy is the early footage they've got for when she's very young. I mean, just talented then and lots of filming going on. And then towards the end, when, when her, her health is obviously going, and, and her dad becomes this... Absolute, I will call him a nuisance. You know, it turns up with the film crew when she's on brings, holiday. Bring, yeah, in exactly. That, that she's trying to get better, uh, and she's stick thin, and, and you know, actually somewhere where there aren't cameras. And he brings a bloody camera crew out yeah. of him. Um, and uh, there's a certain amount of accidental, let's call it, parental kind of harm there. I think. Uh, so that's brilliant. And the bit where she's carried unconscious from her house. Yeah. Put in the car and taken to the airport and driven to her last gig. It's just appalling. It's horrible. Yeah. Whitney also is, is a good one, I think. Of the two Whitney films that came out one after the other, this is the good one in the sense that it has most access to her family, Kevin MacDonald, uh, again. And uh, we find out that she was abused as a very young child by a child. It's her cousin. 
Uh, it's very strange, and it all comes out, and the cousin's now dead, so it can't be proved one way or the other. But that's kind of shocking. And, and you mentioned Marianne and Leonard. only just seen this. This has only just come out. I don't have a great um, uh, relationship with Leonard Cohen. I don't, you know, I like some things, but I don't know that much about him. So I can't find it very interesting. Um, but what a wanker he is. <laughs> I mean, he's, wow, he's, he's, he's on this beautiful island, this Greek island, with this lovely Norwegian woman who's got a kid, and they're having a great time. And then he, he finishes writing his magnum opus and decides he's going to be a singer and put his poems to music and just goes off to tour and become famous, which he did. And the level of promiscuity. Yeah, a different lady every night, at least. Ridiculous. Yeah, so, and, and yet he came back to the island occasionally, and the times that he came back to the island you see in this film are kind of get shorter and shorter in the, in the year, in the uh, fiscal year. He squeezes her into a, a month and then hops it back out to uh, have his way with the, uh, with the group. It should be said there's a brilliant moment when he's uh, in the, I don't know if it's in the movie, but when he's in the, in the Chelsea Hotel and he runs into Janice Joplin, who's looking to sleep with Chris Christopherson. And she says, who are you looking for? She says, I'm looking for Chris Christopherson. She says, I am Chris Christopherson. <laughs> Which is brilliant, isn't it? Brilliant. <laughs> You've got to give him some points. No, for that. You know, I yeah. definitely give him some points. But it's a, yeah. a fascinating documentary and also tragic because Marianne dies uh, and, yeah, and, and he sends a message to her. And, um, you know, they, they get word out to, to Leonard wherever he is now and he's not well either. Um, David Bowie. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, the yeah. Roses. And so, uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a sad ending, but at the same time, very moving. I won't ruin it by giving any more details. So, what are the what are the it. what are the best rock films? Are they the sad ones or the happy ones? Well, I mean, I, I sad ones are kind of easier, aren't they? Really, that, yeah, because everything in the film, a sad biopic. If somebody dies, yeah, everything's poignant, isn't it? It's true. Absolutely, I mean, absolutely everything true. from the beginning. Yeah, and I mean, you definitely get that from Marianne and Leonard, and um, and I've I've added in uh, being Frank. The Chris CB story, Frank Sybottom, to, to those who don't know Chris as he was, was 54 when 54 when he died, um, had so much bad luck. I think he, he almost had a hit, didn't he? He's one of those people. He would have been in smash hits at the time. Um, I'm in love with the girl from the Manchester yeah. megastore. Um, check the out freshies. This. Yeah, the freshies. But they had to take Virgin, the Virgin part out because obviously that's a, that's a, a trade name. So they had to re-record the yeah. song. And in, and in re-recording the song, despite having lots of um, uh, success... Let's say in column inches, they had to. They'd wasted all their money because he made them go back and, and redo it, not just cut out the Virgin, but actually re-record it all. And it cost so much; it was his big chance, and he blew it. But then he became Frank Sidebottom and had a second life as a as a children's entertainer, effectively. And, and everyone loved him. And when he died, much too early, um, people would, they just crowdfunded his funeral. And, and a statue was erected to him, all, all because of the people who loved him so much. So that's a kind of sad, but ultimately very happy film. And uh, I can't remember which one I chose. Oh, Amy, really. I think Amy is just... So yeah. Amy. Amy's a favourite tragedy. Yeah, I think it is. Because it, you know, it makes you sad just to think about her. So the yeah. ne- next category is tour films. Tour films, which is very different to concert films because they go from one venue to another. Um, don't Look Back. Don't Look Back is kind of, I think, untouchable. I mean, would you agree? I mean, it's just... Absolutely To, to, to catch somebody at a particular time, whether you were around at the time, uh, aware of Dylan at the time, I wasn't, um, and to see this kind of candid sort of... Uh, I don't, and, and he seems to be playing up with the cameras a bit, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. a lot. You know, he's, he's, saying, he's being really horrible. Is he really horrible to somebody in it, isn't he? Yeah, uh, he's a journalist. Yeah. Is that, Donovan, that's right. Well, and Donovan. Yeah. yeah. So All he's, sorts of people. He's, Alan he's, Price. He's, he's putting it on, but it's, he's being really entertaining. And, uh, and the fact that it's, you know... I think that it is a brilliant thing. 
And, but also uh, you see every single aspect of it, don't you? The camera follows him on stage when he goes on stage yeah. at the Albert Hall. Yeah. It watches him um, writing songs. It watches him talking to various girls afterwards and fans. Yeah. Every in cabs, every time. And after that, you never really heard him speak again. It's really yeah. interesting. He obviously maybe yes, it's true. you just never. You know, I, I can't yeah. think of a time that there's been a movie where he said anything or seen. Yeah. Cheap. True. Cheap shot. Cheap shot. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, I will say, I think Don't Look Back is kind of untouchable in this section, but we must mention Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. Talk about the best gig you could have, or pair of gigs you could have possibly been asked to go and film. There it is. Uh, very rare that something amazing happens in a, in a performer's career in front of you. So the people who were there anyway at Hammersmith Odeon must have had a hell of a night because they were sad and happy at the same time because they were seeing Bowie and then finding out he was, and they're all crying outside, aren't they? That fantastic yeah. footage they always show of that young Bowie fan. She goes, and they go, what, what's so great about him? And she says, he's just smashing. Yeah. <laughs> all rock critics giving their, yeah, giving yeah, their yeah, notebooks. Because yeah. I recently talked to somebody who went to that gig. Really? Because the beauty of that gig was that you could turn up on the day and you could buy tickets <laughs> at the box office. <laughs> Try telling that to the kids today. <laughs> like 15 bob or whatever. I know. Um, in Bev I remember In Bed with Madonna um, very fondly when you first saw it because the, the, her relationship with Warren Beatty is, or Beatty, oh, yeah. is so weird, isn't it? Because he's, he's too old anyway and, and there's something weird. They've done a film together, haven't they, Dick Tracy? So there's a bit of that. But then they, they arrive in Japan at the start of this amazing tour, the Blonde Ambition tour. So we've got amazing access. Um, the, the dancers are there. You, you definitely get backstage and, and in amongst it. And they don't seem, she doesn't seem to say to the camera people to stop filming at any point. And um, they arrive in Japan at the rainy season, the one that's ruining the, the sport at the moment. So why anyone books anything, whether it's a bloody sporting <laughs> tournament? Rug rugby. It's, yeah, it's, that's the sport, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, I knew it was one with, with big blokes in. <laughs> yeah. But then why would you book up? Why would you book up a tour to begin in Japan, in Tokyo, knowing that it's going to be pissing down with rain. And they're all cold. All the dancers are really cold. They have to wear special coats when they're on stage. So it's very, I find it a fascinating look into the backstage of a massive tour. I mean, not just a band playing, but a huge, huge event. I do really enjoy that. Oh, and, the, and, they, and the police turn up in a kind of crappy attempt to do a Jim Morrison on her because she stimulates, she doesn't stimulate, she simulates masturbation. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> That's in Canada, right? Yeah, isn't you it? don't need to do She's one. She's so unlikable. Yeah, I know. Um, a bit with so Kevin Cosner when she kind of uh, <laughs> yeah, indicates Kevin how Cosner. repulsive he is. And it loses her the part in The Bodyguard, doesn't yeah, it? Kevin, Kevin Costner, um, yeah. she says, What did you think of the show or something afterwards? And he said, It was neat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah a neat. crap thing to say. Yeah. He's, so, he's nice, though, Kevin Costner. So um, The Beatles, Eight Days a Week, I like as well, because it's just another way of slicing The Beatles' cake. Fabulous. You think there wasn't another way to do it, but Ron Howard and his incredible researchers, let's be honest, credit them for getting uh, testimony from people like Whoopi Goldberg and that. I think that's a great film. And, uh, and there is some restored footage in it, isn't there? Which is always sweet if they yeah. do that. Um, and I, I picked Rolling Thunder Review because I'm not a, a, a lifelong Dylan fan. And also, I'm, unlike Ray Manzarek, I don't think his voice is, is a laughing matter. But at the same time, this is a bizarre thing if you're on the outside of, of Dylan World. And I learned a lot about Dylan while working at Q from John Baldy, who was just the, the most educated man about Dylan in the world. I was very lucky to, to, to be there at the same time as him. But I still found it hard to get into what the hell this is. This Martin Scorsese, it's called the Rolling Thunder Review 
a Bob Dylan story by Martin Scorsese, which is a bit grand, isn't it? Mm. You know, for a start, I like Martin Scorsese. Uh, Conjuring the Rolling Thunder Review, a Bob Dylan story by Martin Scorsese, depending on which territory you see it in. And it's a pseudo-documentary. It's really hard to explain. Explain it in two lines. Because it's, it's a well, it's weird, fiction. It's a weird fiction that it's was made. It's partly fiction. I've got a theory about this. My yeah. theory is that he thought, I can't make this film unless I've interviewed Dylan. So he started by interviewing Dylan. Yeah. And Dylan, has anybody seen this film? I'm sure you have this. Course, it's it, been it, on it sort of begins, doesn't and, it? Yeah, yeah, and Dylan just makes up a film director. Yeah. Called, it's called Van Dorf or something. Isn't yeah. it? He said, oh, a strange guy. He sometimes used to have other people's lunch. You have three lunches. <laughs> and he just make up this nonsense. And, uh, all about how Sharon Stone had joined the tour when she was 17 and did all the ironing, yeah. you know. <laughs> and having said all this, and he made up like, a promoter who just didn't exist, did he? Yeah. He said that he got his white um, face mask idea from, from Kiss. He'd been to see Kiss. <laughs> in his and so, obviously, he then had to make a film that actually backed up what Dylan had I said know, and had to have a, 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 an actor... Actually, acting the part of this fictional guy Van Dorf. It's incredibly complicated. Points for audacity. I know, it's really, brilliant. And I still don't quite understand it, but I do know that I was kind of transfixed while watching it. Um, so, um, from that list, though, don't look back. We'll just accept, don't look back. Yeah. accept don't it's look back. Yeah. It's got to be the best okay, film. Okay. Um, concert film. Concert film, slightly different, obviously, because you can't go too far from one venue if it's concert film. I think The Last Waltz is an obvious one, 1978. They're not a band that I have a massively long. Uh, intimate relationship with, but the stuff that you hear when you when you when you listen to this, um, the night they drove old Dixie down, amazing. Uh, the weight, of course, the staple singers are on. It's just it's just a beautiful. They don't need much description. These films, if you've seen the last waltz, and I bet a load of people in here have, you just know what I'm talking about. It's just it's just immense. Stop making sense. Completely different. Uh, talking Heads trying to kind of you know master chef, and they say they're doing uh, they're deconstructing an apple crumble. Which means there'll be a bit of crumble there and a bit of apple there, and then a tiny little leaf in the middle. That's kind of what Talking Heads were doing, but without, you know, with actually some some content. And uh, the, I haven't seen it for a long time, but it, and it starts with an empty stage, doesn't it? And and then David Byrne comes on with a, with a normal with a suit box. With a, with a, with a he puts a cassette blaster. player down, yeah, and yeah. starts playing. I think that plays the, the drum beat. And then the the band come on one at a time. It's just it's so simple. It's amazing that it hadn't been done before, but it really hadn't been done before. Um, and the band are about as good as they ever were, I think. I mean, just incredible. So I love that. Um, I think everyone does, don't they? And it was the big suit film. The film yeah, the big white big suit. suit. What a brilliant idea. The reason he had the big suit was because he wanted his, he wanted his head to look smaller, and he couldn't think of a better way of doing it other than having a big suit, <laughs> which is fair, fair logic, you must admit. Um, the Point of It's a Social Club, another one that kind of doesn't really need uh, uh, selling, I don't think. Old Geezer's Jamming, which is, you know, that's almost a, a genre of its own, isn't it? Right. I saw uh, this film, Inner D Yard, which is a load of old geezers in Jamaica getting back together and playing, which is just... But it also starts with Ibrahim Ferrer's kind of shining shoes, isn't he? Yeah. One of them's working in a Havana right, yeah. cigar factory. Yeah. Because they're kind of down on their luck. And they finish up at the Carnegie Hall, so it's yeah. got that amazing ascent throughout it's it. Excellent. And, and this will always go on, I'm sure. There'll be, there'll be an indie band getting back together sometime in, you know, in the next ten years. Can I make my one... they'll be as old-seeming as the yeah. Prime Minister Social. Can I make my one boring film critic um, uh, observation about why Last Waltz I think is really good? Yes, please. It's because he shoots the whole thing where you see two or three musicians in every shot. Mm, yeah. It's never individual. And I don't know if I'm the only person who feels this, but watching bands, what's interesting is to watch them watching each other. Yes. It's the interreaction. Yeah. It, 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 the dynamic. Is he going to get it right? You <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. has he gone on too long or whatever? You yeah. Know? And he captures that, that yeah. absolutely yeah. perfectly. 
in the last waltz. Well, you can't you can't really beat it, I don't think. Um, so should we do comebacks? Oh yeah. yes, comebacks. Go on. Comebacks. So they're they're all self-explanatory in a way. I mean, El Elvis, the '68 comeback special, which um, you know shouldn't be brilliant, but is absolutely brilliant. It's kind of it's, you know it's going to go all right, but until he, he just gets the audience right there, and it's such an artificial setting, it, it should be awful. It should be like you know seaside special, but it's just not. It's absolutely incredible. He is well. It's maybe his peak before we really went into a decline. Yeah, yeah. But I, lo I do love watching that, and I will watch that quite a lot. Um, Spinal Tap. This is Spinal Tap. is a comeback film, you know, par excellence. And I don't need to tell you how good it is, but let's not forget that when the Boston gig is cancelled, Ian Faith, the manager, says, don't worry about it, it's not a big college town. Not a big college town. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also it's the way they calibrate their, their, their general decline by watching yeah. the seats... Empty. Oh, God, yeah. It's just heartbreaking. And he yeah. says, we're not less popular, it's just our, our appeal has become more selective. More selective. Yes, that's <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. Full of stuff like that, isn't it? Anyway, so that, that, that uh, sells itself, I think. Um, but then Metallica did it in real life. Some kind of monster is this, uh, where they, it's not a, they don't call him a therapist, they call him uh, something else. Oh, a performance enhancement coach. Because they all hate each other and the, the, the bassist has been replaced because he's had a, he has literally had a head-banging injury. Jason, you said he, he, he banged his head too much and they had to leave the band. Uh, so they'd lost the bassist and, uh, and, and James Hetfield goes in to rehab in the middle of making the album, which became St. Anger. It's classic stuff. It's, it's almost like a parody of a rock band being in therapy. But it's brilliant and you kind of want them to get, get it at the end. You can't help but like them. Um, and uh, they do make a record and it is called St. Anger and it is really hard to listen to but the film's good so the film is the good thing that came out of that album um, Anvil the story of Anvil Wonderful. who were the real life Spinal Tap the Wonderful Canadian film. rock band who are seen playing I think on, on the same stage as Bon Jovi and the Scorpions at the beginning they're, they're part of that uh, wave and uh, then the, it doesn't happen for them. It happens for all the other bands, but not them. They're from Canada, and they just they just they go back to Canada, basically. It's really it never it's never unkind no, about it's them. Really, it's a really them. affectionate film, yeah. affectionately made. And the guy who made it, who directed it, is a massive fan of the band. So yeah. he was kind of I can't believe you're letting me make a film about you, even though no one else has heard of it. And the lead singer is delivering school meals, isn't he? For That's a, exactly a right. Job, yes, going so back on the road. Yeah. He's doing something more useful, perhaps, than yeah, the, yeah. even in a band. In, yeah. And then they go on a European tour, and it's just like Spinal Tap. And they miss their trains, and they, they they get lost in Prague, and it's 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 brilliantly funny. And then at the end, don't want to ruin it for you, but they get a gig, a Transyl Transylvanian rock concert, Transylvania Monsters of Rock, it's called, and it is in Transylvania. And uh, they go, they go to this concert, and they think this is it. They think this is they're going to get their Spinal Tap gig at the end, and uh, they're on at eleven thirty-five a.m. That's like, if you're at Glastonbury, that's before the brass band. It is, it is. Yeah, it is. And, uh, and 170 people come. 174 people turn up. There's thousands should be there. Anyway, it's a wrong time of day to be on. But you, you love them. You just love them. And you want yeah, them to it's succeed. a brilliant film. And I've, I've also put in um, Blue Note Records. No, that's jazz. Say it, let's not ruin it. No, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you're a winner in this category. Yeah, it's, um, it's a tough one, but... Uh, I'm going back through my notes now. I'll tell you what Comebacks. it is. Comebacks. We've got a slide of it. Hey, you've got a slide we'll of it. We'll tell you. Is it, is it Bross? It's, it's Bross. Bross. <laughs> yeah. Bross. What really, a great film. It, it shouldn't be so good, but it is so good. <laughs> because you think you've got them, you think you've got it 
you know what it's going to happen, and it isn't how you think it's going to be. I mean, two brothers in a band is, is dangerous. And there they are. They don't really like each other. One of them is still the drummer, which is a really bizarre thing. It was always bizarre, even when they first came about. That The two twins, one of them was sat behind a drum kit, obviously yes. on a good riser, and uh, obviously shot more on top of the pops than most drummers get. But nevertheless, they are both good-looking, and one of them sat down, and he's still sitting down. I think that is the problem all the way through it. You don't need to be a psychologist to work out what's going on. One gets to stand at the front, the other one gets to sit down. So the one at the front is slightly jealous because he doesn't get to sit down. The one at the back yeah. is pissed off because no one can see how shapely his calves are. <laughs> and so it is, a, it is a recipe for disaster, but you love them both so and much. Full so of, much oh, yeah. love for these two. Whether you like their music or not, it's a We're, great We talked about London, it's something like The Embankment. Uh, black cabs, Big <laughs> Ben, doesn't it? I know. They are like little kids. Like little do, kids. do you think yeah. with that film's a classic case, though, of, uh, I thought this as I watched it, all rock documentaries, you can make them two ways. You can either make them reverential or yeah. you can make them hysterical. And you use entirely the same footage to yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah. Just the way you, just it's the way just you the point it. of view of the filmmaker is, look yeah. at these pillocks. Yeah. Or it's, look at these amazing people. I know. Same people. And I think most people would have gone in thinking it'd be one way and came out thinking the opposite, which yeah. is so nice. It completely swerves, doesn't it, in the middle. So we love that. that, that that's definitely the winner of the comeback category. Um, jazz films. Jazz. Yeah, I, I, I might just change the order of these. That's a jazz joke. God's sake. <laughs> I didn't even write it down. It's not even written on it. Now, of, of all of the films that we're talking about, this is the only one that I watched yesterday... For the, probably the second time or third time, Jazz on a Summer's Day, 1959. It's, I oh watched it yesterday as do, well. Do I want to be at that? It's, yes, on, it's on YouTube, people. Yeah, I watched it yesterday it's too. Pretty it's pretty good quality, amazing. actually. You can watch it you know, on a laptop, definitely, without any problem. The music's superb. And uh, you, know, you don't have to like jazz to, to want to be there. You and must was made in what, 1958 there. or something? 1958. Incredible. And, uh, it's a Newport. Shot by two, um, yeah, not in Wales. No. <laughs> I always thought Bob Dylan did his uh, did Newport County. Yeah, I know. Um, nothing wrong with Newport in Wales. Um, yeah, there were, two, uh, there were two photographers, I think, the, the directors. That was there. Uh, and one of them, I think, was a, uh, worked at a record company. Anyway, they, they went there, a uh, fashion photographer, one of them, and just got it. They just got it. The it stuff looks... was there for the, for the taking, but they, they, it's not one where it's only about an hour and 20 minutes long, which obviously for a three-day is quite a, a concertina version of it, but the stuff they leave in makes you want to see even more. It's like a giant out. lifestyle movie. Like, it looks like, like yeah. a Marlboro commercial. Yeah, yeah. But it's like a commercial. I don't think... Not everyone who can have been at that needed to wear glasses, but everybody's got glasses. Yes. So I think you had to have them, maybe you got them on the way And the in. women have got yeah. headscarves. Yeah. And, really like. head and they, are, they are having a great time without getting up off their deck yeah. chairs. <laughs> They're, They're all in little, time little folding that, chairs. You know, they? just sort of slightly jogging about. It's absolutely brilliant. That is the way jazz was obviously meant to be, appreciated. And it's like a holiday camp or something, you know, or in a, a park with a bandstand and everyone sits in deck chairs. It just looks like the best thing ever. And, and Louis Armstrong... Um, he's on stage. It's, a, it's one of the indoor ones, I think. And he's telling an anecdote to the, the host, the MC. And I've watched it a few times. I've no idea what he's talking about, but I know he met the Pope. But I don't know what the anecdote is. He's so excited and laughing all the time. He's such a happy chap. <laughs> I you cannot hear what he's saying. So I've no idea what the anecdote is. If you watch it and you've seen it and you know what that anecdote's about, tell me. Because it's got <laughs> to be good. It's got the Pope in yeah. it. 
So yeah, un unbelievable. The others in this category have uh, you know, got a lot of work to do. I saw the Glenn Miller story when I was a boy, <laughs> a teenager, which was very strange. I, I just hit that point in my life where I decided I needed to see every film that had ever been made. So whatever film came on, I watched it and then wrote it down in my diary. And I saw the Glenn Miller story in about 1982 or something. And I really enjoyed it because it's got James Stewart in it, which is, you know, what is, where did I see somebody saying James Stewart was a bad actor? So, oh, and it was on uh, John Oliver's uh, uh, show that he does on Sky Atlantic. And they were talking about James Stewart and saying he's a terrible actor. No, he's Bollocks. not. It's James no, Stewart. He's, great, he's, great he's, he's Glenn Miller when he wants to be. He's a yeah, cowboy when yeah. he wants to be. So, uh, yeah, the Glenn Miller story, because I like it. Why not? Uh, I also like What Happened, Miss Simone, which is a much more recent um, story, uh, clearly, about Nina Simone. And uh, her story is so interesting. You'd have to really be a poor documentarian uh, to capture it, actually pops it to Liberia and becomes an activist. And, uh, yeah. and has a very complicated husband who's very against her civil rights activism. That's right. That's right, yeah. Yeah, what a nice husband he, he yeah, is. Yeah, a very difficult yeah. man. So that's what happened. So anyway, our winner in that category, yeah. and anybody can go home tonight and watch it. It's jazz on, jazz on, yeah, it's on YouTube. YouTube. It's too Fantastic. Good. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. So next one's fiction. Yeah, it's harder to do this fiction, obviously, for, for self-evident reasons. Uh, because it is a fiction, it's made up. But at the same time, how much does it soak up the, the, the time and, and you know what people were thinking? American Graffiti is George Lucas's equivalent of my diary with all the films in. Uh, he was doing the things that young people did um, in Modesto, California, which was basically drive around in cars. And if you weren't old enough to have a car or didn't have a license, somebody else slightly older than you. I used to have a friend who was a couple of years older than me who had a car. It's fucking brilliant when that happens. So I could understand American Graffiti, even though it was uh, set in the past. And Wolfman Jack is in it. The first time I'd really seen really a, a, yeah, a DJ portrayed on film, and it was really him. Uh, and he really is a Wolfman, apparently. Um, <laughs> the captions, that's it. The captions at the end. Yes. Yeah. That, I don't know whether that was the first time that was done, but it was certainly... Uh, first time it was done on such a big scale where all the characters you'd learn to love and you do learn to love them all um, it tells you what happened to them one of them is is AWOL uh, or, or missing in action yeah, in right. Vietnam it's it's oh, it's heart heartrending stuff and, and also it's, it's 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 just the story of one night and so yes. you, you, that's really captivating and when, yeah. the, when the dawn breaks and they have the drag race that's right out of town you, you feel you've been up all night yeah. with them it's astonishing Superb. And, and what's, the, what's the music on the drag race? I'll tell you what it is. Go Green on Onions, Booker T and the Is it? Which is a piece yeah. of music that you can put in any scene, in any <laughs> film, and it always works. Yeah. It either looks threatening or it looks fun. You know, it, it enhances any scene it's put That's in. brilliant. Music supervisor, David Hepburn. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Simple as that. Green on yeah. Green on you. Yeah. You're done. Um, uh, so, so the winner in this category. Yeah, beating Stardust, uh, beating The Commitments, which I love because of the uh, thing about the Irish. Beating the commitments. I love the, love the commitments. It is just... We've got that as your yeah, winner. that is my favourite, because, uh, <laughs> because of the, 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 the joy of it. The, Dave the hates this film. Do you? I yeah. loathe this film. <laughs> the, bit where, the bit where he says the Irish are the blacks of Europe and, the du and Dubliners are the blacks of Ireland and Northside Dubliners are the blacks of Dublin. So say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. That is... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, whether that was written by Roddy Doyle, I guess it might have been, or by uh, Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenet, who, who did a kind of polish on it. Bloody excellent script. And they're good players as well. Yeah. High fidelity, you, you told me to put in, but uh, it doesn't really quite match up with the commitments, I don't think. Um, High so fidelity is a great film. Yeah. For, for, for its, it, it, the way it portrays life in a record shop. 
the snobbishness of the yeah. Jack Black character. Yeah. When the guy comes in, he wants to buy a... a, 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 a Stevie Wonder, Stevie I Wonder. just called to say I, I, say I love you. <laughs> he goes, it was before his boy, is she in a coma? That's right, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah, that is a film for uh, blokes of a certain age, isn't it? So we've got two categories left. Yeah, festivals is, is, is festivals. easy to do in a way because they all speak for themselves. Monterey Pop uh, is... Uh, what I like about Monterey Pop is it's over a couple of days and you, you get the sense of the time passing because no one quite knew what it was going to be like on the on the first day and then things happen on the second day and I think Janice Joplin gets signed by Columbia somewhere yeah, between the first day and the second day. It's amazing to sort of live that through the film. It's not long enough uh, for my liking, but it's fantastic and there are longer versions of it. Gimme Shelter, we were talking about earlier on, is a horror film, really, seriously. I mean, I didn't know... When I saw it for the first time, I didn't know what Altamont was all about and what was going to happen. So when um, Unfortunate Punter... Meredith Hunter, it's just it makes me chill. Well, there's a bit where you get it. to see, I think, Mick Jagger and I think Charlie watching the footage yeah. of yeah, the, that's the right. Hell's Angels murdering a member I of the know, audience. It's just, it's... And you think, are they feeling guilt? Because in a way, Altamont was, was a kind of free concert to make the finale for the film they were making. Yeah. That's why they did yeah. it. And they had no security. They wanted it to be cooler than Woodstock. There was no security apart from the Hell's Angels. It was complete chaos. Yeah. And you kind of think they're partly to blame in some ways. In some ways, yeah. yeah. Don't you miss the days that Hell's Angels were in you know, security? Yeah. yeah, I know. The Stranglers used to have yeah. the Hell's Angels doing their security. Well, tr yeah. Trump, yeah. Trump has them now, doesn't he? Oh, God, yeah. yes. Not, yeah. Sorry oh, to bring the whole No higher down. recommendation. <laughs> Woodstock, also good, again, you know, many days would have been good for that. But so, they, I suppose part of the reason Monterey Pop's good is, is similar to the reason Jazz on a Summer's Day is good, is that, is that it isn't crowded with people. Yeah. Whereas every other yeah, festival true. film subsequently yeah. is overrun with people, so it's about the scale of the thing. Yeah. Whereas if you look at like Glastonbury Fair, the film made about the first Glastonbury yeah. by David Putnam, yeah. that's really charming because there ain't many people there. there. No, it's true. I, I will not go to a festival less, unless I get a seat as good as this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> not anymore. I'm similar. Also, if you haven't seen Fire, F-Y-R-E, it's on Netflix. Oh, yes. The documentary about, about the awful festival that was never going to happen was invented by some crazy guy uh, who wanted to basically promote his app and had loads of influencers to it's say how great it's going to be. In the Social park. media means oh. the festival. <clears throat> if it's you fantastic. haven't seen Fire, F-Y-R-E, you've got to see that. Uh, and then the final category, category is oddities. Oddities. Oddities are just things that don't really fit. <coughs> Slade in Flame... It's Mark Kermode's favourite film, I think, of all time. Oh, yes, it is? Yeah, I think so. After The Exorcist, obviously. <laughs> um, <clears throat> it's great. It's such a... What a contrast. Of all, the, of all the bands you would think would be able to act, you might not think it was Slade, but they're really good. Actually, Noddy is pretty good. Jim is good also. When they're talking about... And they're in the pigeon loft talking. It's actually really good naturalistic acting. I think, you know, they really should be credited, I think, for that. Rude Boy, meanwhile, which, as a Clash fan, there's plenty in that to enjoy, but not... The acting of Ray Gange, no. who plays the uh, the roadie. He's a non-actor. I yeah. think he says it on his card, non-actor. And uh, he's so bad in it. I mean, it's not his fault. But there's some really terrifying stuff in there it's as well. It's not his fault. <laughs> it's not his fault. You know, he kind of... I think they sent him on tour to do a bit of roadieing for a week, and that was his uh, qualification to be in it. But there's uh, this terrible uh, National Front demo in there. Awful stuff going on. You think it happens now. It was worse then, by the looks of it, to me. Um, and uh, it's a bit where Topper, Topper Head and the drummer is just... He's trying to talk to him in the, in the uh, dressing room, and Topper's just trying to talk to the tour manager, Johnny, isn't it? And he says, uh, 
Joe's lending me his towel, he says. Joe's lending me his towel. Just ruins the class, doesn't it? The idea that Joe's got a towel. <laughs> I mean, and it's his towel. And he's nice enough to lend yeah. it to people. And Topper is That's saying, wrong. I'm going to use Joe's towel. Yeah. He said, it's OK. It's just, I love little sweet little moments like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yes, uh, Slade in Flame is uh, just unbeatable, I think. And of um, all of those, uh, out of those, uh, out of well, those ten, I think I think it's in a kind of desert island moment. What would you choose? I think it's your... I think it's cracked actor. Now, oh, right. it's partly because David Bowie's gone, and there will never be the full and frank David Bowie interview or the full and frank David Bowie autobiography. There's a load of stuff we're never going to get, and in some ways that's good. And, and we, I think, all very pleased that he didn't have to live through the years that have occurred since he died. They have not been good years, and he never saw them which I'm very pleased about. And he appears not to want... I mean, there's, there's going to be this... There is going to be a biopic of Debbie Bowie with Johnny Flynn, I think, oh, yes, the actor, Carson. He was a musician. So, um, you know, he doesn't look unlike him. But a part of me doesn't want David Bowie to be immortalised. I don't mind Freddie Mercury being immortalised because he's a kind of larger-than-life figure, but David Bowie, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of unsure about that. Do you think, there'll, do you think there'll be a Beatles one? <sighs> oh, God. Well, I mean, there was no way, boy... Wasn't there? Of course, um, Sam Taylor Wood. Very that. good too. Yeah, and I really think the, the the guys who played the band were, were pretty good. They were I think great. You, the, the, cl the clue with a good biopic of a band is can the drummer mime well. the drums? <laughs> yeah, and or at least or play even better. And that's uh, so why I think Control. There was a good drummer in Control as yeah. Stephen Morris, who's a pretty tight drummer. Hard to do if you're not a drummer. And the guy who played him, I can't even remember his name. Something like Jim Pinnock or something. He has one IMDb listing, and it is playing Stephen Morris in that film, so I suggest that he's probably a drummer rather than an actor, and it makes all the difference. So, as in real life, so in drama, it's all about the drummer. To me, everything is about drumming, yeah. Andrew Collins, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> what can you say? This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.